What's up, everyone? Travis McKenzie here again. Thanks for being here and listening to the show. I'm excited to bring you today's guest. Till Shank has such an infectious personality. He always has a smile on his face and is never short of an entertaining story to share. Today, we talk about his time in complete COVID-19 lockdown in Spain and how, after a couple of weeks of inactivity, he finally found his mojo again, to the point of completing the popular, albeit crazy, Everesting challenge on his indoor trainer over the weekend. What's Everesting? Climbing the equivalent vertical feet gain of Mount Everest on a bike, inside, staring at a computer screen. Some way to get out of your funk there, Till. Till also recalls with joy his experience of bikepacking across Morocco at the beginning of this year. This is a joyful conversation and an interesting insight into one of the happiest people in the endurance sports world. I hope you enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? Here we are again for day five of the I'm Curious to Know project. I'm excited to have good friend uh, and our first European correspondent here, uh, Till Schenk. Till, how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm really good. Thanks for having me. I'm j- just seeing you right now. I'm a little bit disappointed. Like I should have had a look at your look beforehand because three three more days yeah. for hair and beard and we'd be like facial twinning right now. Yeah, well, yeah. maybe we should stop the broadcast now and just wait for three days yeah. to catch up. But then I'd be three days ahead of you. So it's just perpetual. You'd just be continuing just, to chase. So well, we, won't, we won't get there. Pointless, damn it. Now, Till and I, uh, we connected uh, quite a few years ago in, in the beautiful uh, place of Lanzarote. Till was there working. I was there working uh, for Lululemon at the time as we sponsored the BMC Tri Team. My first interaction with you, Till, was uh, when I rolled up and you're talking to Dirk Bockel about coffee. So I immediately knew that uh, you and I would get along really well, uh, and you had some really good advice for Dirk at the time. But um, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to talk about that. I'd love to talk about your situation. You're living in Girona. You've been on complete lockdown for seven weeks. So for us North Americans who have had a, a somewhat truncated version of that, where we're self-isolating, I'd love to hear from you about what that has been like. That seven weeks of complete lockdown and what that's meant for you. Sure. Let's do it. It's just so funny. I was just thinking about like, it's so funny how how different people remember situations in the life. I love how you remember me talking about like coffee with Dirk Buckle. I will always remember you as the only guy ever so far to give me uh, some boxer shorts. So that's the memory that stuck with me. Literally <laughs> saying, these them. will be the most comfortable <laughs> boxer shorts you'll ever wear. I wear them about six uh, days out of the week. Today is washing day. Sorry. That's what I, I can I smell. Wear today. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Other than wearing the same underwear every day, tell me what it's like there in Girona and lockdown. It's different. You know, it's like we had seven weeks of whatever you want to call it. Let's call it proper lockdown. I mean, so basically the situation was that we were only allowed to go to the doctors or to go to the supermarket. Um, literally to the point that when we went to the supermarket, we had to take a receipt um, at checkout to have proof for the police out on the street if they checked us that we didn't just walk around in circles. I mean, like people tried the weirdest things, right? To, to have an excuse to be out on the streets. Um, there is a guy who has been caught dressed up as a Christmas tree. Like when it hurt, you can walk your dog. There's literally like there was a woman trying to walk her turtle on a leash and things like that. <laughs> so obviously they, they wanted to stop that. It was defeating the purpose a little bit. So you had to, yeah, you had to prove with a receipt that, that you went to the closest supermarket and that you didn't walk around in circles just with groceries in your backpack or something. And other than that, uh, we spent the time at home. It was interesting stages through the seven weeks. And I'll be honest, like I'm, 
kind of blessed and cursed at the same time that I, I have a very short-term memory for bad experiences. So you're like, I'll forget them. Like now I'm allowed to go out five hours a day. I'll be like, oh, was there a lockdown? What happened? Yeah. Day one, I built up the turbo and I signed up for like a yoga app. And I was like, I got to learn Spanish and there's paperwork to be done. And this is time to work on my future. And suddenly had all those plans and everything. And, and my head just kept spinning from morning to evening. And I didn't sleep well. It took me hours to fall asleep. And, and I just vividly dreamt of all the ideas that I had and everything. Which was like, yeah. okay, this is not, not great. I'm wearing myself out here right now. So then I decided not to do anything <laughs> instead. It's just like, this is what it is. And I started getting a little bit better. And then I discovered stupid videos for myself, which randomly happened. I just made a little video for fun, really stupid. What I like hobbies I picked up in lockdown and people thought they were funny. So I, I started doing more with a friend and they got really elaborate. And in the end cost us about six hours a day, which then got too much <laughs> as well. <laughs> and we did that for a while. And, and I felt like that just as much as toilet paper jokes and all that kind of stuff eventually had their time, but then it was done. I, I think then I found a good rhythm, actually. I, uh, I don't want to advertise or anything, but I, I weirdly, by a friend telling me to try a training plan on Zwift, found love for, for Swifting. I've, I've tried for two years before, and I probably did 300 kilometers in two years, and suddenly I enjoyed it, and I've been riding 14 out of the last, no, 15 out of the last 16 days. And found a good rhythm for myself. Like I'm, I'm, I'm happy now. I'm relaxed. I sleep well. But it's strange. Yeah, I felt the same. I feel like there's been this, these waves. And I talked about it in the first episode. The first wave was like going to the kitchen and snacking all the time. And the next one was, you know, drinking booze at lunchtime. You know, tongue in cheek, kind of joking. But I feel like now there is a bit more normality and rhythm to what we're doing. And you know, you can have a bit more structure around your day. Uh, and you had talked about riding 15 out of 16 days. I want to talk in particular about one of those days, which occurred on the weekend on Sunday, and you decided to ride the equivalent of Mount Everest, the vertical feet gain of Mount Everest, 29,029 feet, and you did it on your trainer, on your bike, in one go, and I was texting you, WhatsApping you throughout, and you were sending pictures of you suffering, and I know people came and rode with you, but... Tell me, A, the reason why, and B, what was that experience like for you to kind of go through that, what can only be described as a, a mammoth effort on, on your trainer? It sounds so very different than, than like when you say it, than how it sounded in my head when I had the idea. Like in my head, it sounded really smart. Now, when you like summarize it, it sounds like I'm a really stupid person, actually. With almost every great idea I have, I live by, oh, there's an idea. Sure, I want to do that. I have no idea if it can be done or not, but in my head, we'll find a solution. Now, 16 days ago, my buddy was like, do this training plan on Swift. And I was like, cool, I'll do it. And it was like a 45 minute session. And it got me out of my comfort zone of like just rolling around a little bit. And it's like, oh, this is cool. Day two of, of my Swifting career here, I went, well, so I had a little bit. So I was on like level seven or something. And, and there's a, this climb on Zwift, Alp de Zwift, which resembles Alp de S, famous climb. Because it was Corona, you were allowed in there. Usually you have to collect points and levels before you're allowed in. But because it was Corona, I was allowed in, which I didn't know. So I was just finishing a ride on, on my second day here of, of mammoth riding. And suddenly there was the arrow to go to Alp de Zwift. And it was like, ooh. Well, let's see just from the bottom what it looks like. Now, if they allow me in, it would be a route not to ride up. 
So I rode up and it was cool. And it was like, so the next day I went back to it, thought, oh, I'll do another one. That's fun. And then I did four instead, which with a really bad gearing and pushing a cadence of 48 and really hurting my knees. And that's pretty mm -hmm. much when I decided, let's do an Everesting. And I thought, I'll plan a couple of weeks. I'll train a little a week. And Everesting is nine ascents of Alpe de Swift. It's yeah. close to 9,000 meters of climbing. Uh, a buddy of mine only had time this weekend. So literally we had, had a week and a half time to prepare and then did it on Sunday and some people joined in and it was kind of cool. Like, I'm yeah. really glad I, I did it because there is a story behind it. The interest in Everesting is not new to me. Everesting is something that's popular in ultra cycling. As every great idea ever that doesn't happen or doesn't appear on a bike, the, the original Everesting idea that I had involved friends, a pub, and too many beers. And yep. that was basically, Everesting has been done on six continents, but not in Antarctica. So why don't I do that? And I had that idea about two and a half years ago. That's, that's the ultimate goal. And I've been pushing and dragging my feet since the, the idea through all the planning. It's a slow planning process and everything. And I've never gotten around to do my first actual Everesting to actually know what I'm getting myself into there. Yep. So then there was the opportunity. Why, when, yep. if not now, right? Totally. I want to hear more about that Antarctica adventure, but I want to hear uh, a little bit more about what it was like. You mentioned nine nine ascents of, of um, Alp de Zwift. Tell us about kind of, you know, how long each ascent takes roughly. How long were you in the saddle? You know, what was kind of some of the details and some of the war story, the gory details I want to hear. I did read up on it and I did listen to friends. A couple of friends had done it before. So the one, the first thing I did was I prepared numerous bibs so I can switch out bibs because yeah. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of riding with a fan. So I, I sweat buckets. So I prepared with a couple of bibs. So funny enough, my ass and everything is fantastic. Like I was back on the turbo two days later. That was fine. I, I prepped a lot of food the night before I had my drinks and everything there. And, and the cool thing about uh, the Swift Everest thing is just in real life, it's a steep climb on the way down. Fortunately, you don't have to stay on the turbo. So in real life on an Everesting, you need to roll down the mountain. At the bottom, yeah. you get off the bike, you eat, you drink a little bit, and then you go into the next climb. Here, I have a 12 and a half minute descent that I can use to stretch out, eat yeah. something, do things like that. Obviously, the first descent was too hard. And then I chatted to my buddy and found out that his first one was even faster. So obviously, my second attempt was not just too hard. It was way too hard. Because yep. I needed to go faster, which I bitterly paid for afterwards, but I knew it while I was doing it. So who cares? Yep. Quite frankly, at that at that point, I had no expectations. I had ridden 14 days straight beforehand. I had ridden 35 hours going into that Everesting, or close to 35 hours in 14 days. So it was like, I'm hurting one way or another. Who cares? Yeah. Let's just push yep. through it. Two was fine. Three was fine. Four was fine. Five was, man, it started like going into some dark places, not mentally, just physically. Like I, I yep. never questioned what I was doing, which was weird. I really expected that. That was like experience came in. It was really, really cool. The first big thing I did other than Ironman racing three years ago, I raced Cape Epic, um, eight yep. day mountain bike stage race and, and starts on the weekend. On Wednesday, I came down with a stomach bug, um, had terrible first three days, like literally on day three, I at some point said to my teammate, listen up, I can't see anymore. I, I see black and the shades of your real wheel. I'm sitting behind you. Just listen if I fall off the bike or not. That's how bad I was. But what I learned was that after every low, there comes a high. 
And if you're feeling crappy, it go just goes faster. It'll be like yeah. a 30 minute low, 30 minute high, 30 minute low, 30 minute high. So it's just waiting for the next highs and kept pushing through it. Now, two days later, I'm, I'm still trying to understand what distracted me because I was on mm. there for just under 12 and a half hours for the Everesting. But obviously, as everybody knows, like the, the altitude was gained halfway through a climb and you cannot quit a climb. So I had to finish the climb. Yeah, so I finish. ended up doing yeah. 9,300 meters or whatever. So I ended up riding just over 13 hours. By the end of it, I realized that for about 12 out of those 13 hours, I listened on repeat to one and the same country music playlist. And I have no idea how I got distracted enough not to realize actually, but I had great friends joining in every once in a while, either checking in like you did, some were yeah. riding with me on the climbs, which was a blessing and a curse at the same time. Because you know what it's like, like they're doing the first, you can see they got more power and you're like, oh, I'm slowing them down and they're here for me. And then you go push into hard again. And But it was really cool. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Like it was, it was fantastic to do this and see, I can do that mentally, physically. I wasn't too worried about, Yeah. but to sit in one spot, stare at a I, screen for 13 hours and spin your, your wheels. I applaud you. I've tried. I've tried the Zwift recently. I've tried, you know, suffer fest plans. I've tried it all. I, I've really struggled to ride inside. I remember getting ready for Ironman um, before Zwift, before any of these things. It was an old Compu trainer that you had the erg mode, and you'd like basically like dial up the effort yourself. A few times, I'd spend five hours on those, and you just have like Ironman videos on repeat, or like something on repeat to keep you distracted. But I remember like they made me obviously very physically and mentally strong that you could kind of draw on that, but I can't bring myself to do it. And for you to sit there for 13 hours and do it. And I never actually even thought that you would mention country music. I thought you'd be more like of a, a Euro uh, trance kind of type of guy. So I'm surprised to hear the cowboy music helped you. Ooh, I, lo I love me a little bit of country in between. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I didn't think I could listen to so much. I, I I don't do the trance kind of stuff and so on, because if the beat goes too fast, I just overdo it. You just so I don't, right. I don't trust myself there too much. But all kidding aside, I, th I think like I'm trying to figure out what it is why it was comparably easy to me i'm, I'm not gonna lie i i suffered like a dog in the in the end like it was on my worst day i'll cross the finish line of an ironman and i'll i'll barely like barely be able to look straight or eat or anything but i'll say hell yeah i'll do another one yeah. i knew going up that last climb it's gonna take me a day before i say hell yeah i'm gonna do another one it was even longer it was it was yeah. two days until i was at the hell yeah so when's but the next one when can we sign up and do it together well it's simple it's very simple <laughs> there, there is going to be one either on sunday or on monday it's that simple because tomorrow we're going to find out for us normal people the non-pros the time limit that we have for going out and training since last week is going to be lifted or not so certain regions in Spain that are not as affected or where the numbers went down, they haven't, there is a possibility that they'll be allowed to go out for longer throughout the day and train. Yeah. If that happens, it will start next Monday. If Girona is part of it, I will be doing an outdoors, uh, outdoor Everesting on Monday, unless it rains buckets, then I'll wait until Tuesday. If it's clear that we're, we're, we're not allowed, I'm going to do another one on Sunday indoors. So just like do one a week. Long. So basically what you're saying is you're going to do one a week for the rest of your life is what I heard you say from that. It's funny that you say that. <laughs> so I'm, I have this weird thing that I, I like when I come up with ideas, it's like I'm telling them myself in my head. So I was literally walking to the supermarket. Maybe this is also a Corona lockdown side effect. I was walking to the supermarket and I was like, okay, 
tomorrow when I know I'm going to post, I'm going to do another Everest thing. And then people will think this is going to turn into a weekly thing. So I need to tell them this is not going to be a weekly thing. <laughs> so I love that you picked up, picked up on that. But here's the kicker. The reason why it can't be, well, it will, it can't, could, oh, it could, oh, tempting. No, stop it now. On May 16th, uh, Luis Alvarez, Mexican guy who's holding the, the second most Ironman finishes in the world at the moment. Funny enough, two days before Jan Frodeno approached me if I would MC his indoor Ironman, Luis yeah. Alvarez approached me and said, hey, I want to do an indoor Ironman. Same weekend that Jan then decided to do his, and they had no idea that they were both planning it. And then two days later, he broke his foot. Right. So now he fought his way back, and May 16th is his birthday, so he's going to do it on May 16th. Coincidentally, friends of mine asked me if I would support them during parts of a 24-hour indoor cycle. So I have now decided that on May 16th, I'm going to do a 24-hour turbo ride. While doing that, for roughly 16 hours from the turbo while I'm riding it, I'll be seeing another guy doing an indoor Ironman in his house in Mexico. And this, my friends, is the world that we live in right now. Is planning is. all these indoor Ironmans, riding your bike all day, every day. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. I'm all for it. You guys, uh, impressive and inspiring. I just want to ask you. I want to, I want to kind of dig in a little further because people will be wondering. You know, you talked about the distraction. You talked about, you know, finding ways to get through it. But there is, there has to be something there that you're able to dig in at a certain point where you're like, I just want to stop. All I do, all I want to do is stop. And in a race, it's, it's, it's a little easier. You know, I want to get to the finish line or I want to get there as fast as I possibly can, but you're doing a challenge like this for simply for the challenge of it. So tell me what that mentality is that you have around doing something like this. It's quite funny. I have it the other way around. It's a lot harder for me in a race than it is in projects like this one. And I think it comes down to one very simple thing. I'm not attracted by times. Well, right. hold on. I don't set times before a thing. I'm still stupid, like like most of us out there. So like in that indoor Everest thing, when I realized after riding for 12 hours and 27 minutes, if I would sprint the last kilometer up the hill, I could make it under 12 hours and 30. Suddenly an idea like that will kick in. Further away from the finish line, it doesn't matter to me. So yeah. if I have a bad day in an Ironman, the thought of the finish line doesn't push me because I know if I take it easy, I, I'll, I'll see it. So to me, the appeal is always in projects where I don't know if I can mm. do it or not. I haven't tried. I, I have no idea. And that's where it's really weird. Something really calm kicks in at me and it's like, well, now you're committed and now you're doing that. I do my homework beforehand and I'll plan it. My parents wouldn't agree with I plan it. In your head, you planned it. It's fine. In my in it. my head and, and from my perspective, I do plan it. For me, the drive is just um, to see it through. I'm an extremely grateful person for what I have. I know I don't look like it at all, despite Corona, but I'm turning 40 this year. And I still have moments where I call my parents just to say thank you for the life they, they made possible for me. And I still have days where I wake up 10 years into doing the job that I do. I'm, I'm seeing sports events where I wake up and I'm like, damn, I live a good life. It's amazing. Yeah. Th that's one of the things. The other thing is I've never been an overthinker. I, I believe there's a solution for everything. It just needs to be found. And, and that basically affects every part of my life that I don't overthink things. Sometimes I maybe don't think enough about, about them. Look at work, for example. Like I had times when I emceed events where like a peak season, June, July, August, I'd be sitting in a car between events somewhere around 
2,000 miles a week. You cannot think about what you're doing there. Yeah. When you're sitting in a car driving from one end of the country to another for 10 hours straight through the night to MC an event the next day. Don't think about it. And apparently I'm, I'm amazingly good at not thinking. I'm not sure if that's, <laughs> that's a good thing or not. Take it. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it 100%. It, it helped me in a lot uh, of situations just recently as well. Yeah. And it, it gives me this utter belief that I will always land on my feet. I'm literally one of those idiots who listened to their parents when they said, you can do anything you want in life. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just like Santa Claus, I seem to believe in it. You kind of alluded to some of the adventures and you're not only uh, a, an ultra indoor cyclist, you've also done some pretty fantastic uh, ultra outdoor adventures. I'd love to hear a little bit about that and mostly, most recently your adventures through Africa and bikepacking and doing that alone. And it feels a bit like what you described. You plan it, but you might not overthink it. So tell me about that. Tell yes. me about what that experience was like for you. How much time do you have? Yeah, this still, is where I get 25 excited. 25 to go, 20 minutes to go. Perfect. Tell, tell this me. This is where you'll see like the spark in my eyes and the excitement. I have done bikepacking trips before, but more the gentle kind of version. Europe, I've done, you know, like things like Copenhagen to Basel and, and things like that to see other parts of Germany. I've done Freiburg down to the coast of France and to Montpellier and so on, but never like the... The rugged backpacking. I didn't want to race Ironman races anymore just because I've done a couple and I wanted to do other things, but I agreed with a friend, I'll do Ironman Lanzarote this year. So I was sitting on my bike in December, riding around in circles, just around about like a week before Christmas, uh, maybe nine days before Christmas. And I'm, I'm riding along and I'm going like, hey, I was in Morocco beginning of October and I absolutely loved it. First time ever there, I'm seeing an event, but I didn't make it to the desert, which was a shame. And I've got all the cycling that training that coming up now. Let's see when I get back home from a bike ride, if I could ride from here to the gate of the desert in Morocco. Sadly, or fortunately enough, the bike, kept, uh, bike ride kept going. So my thought process went from that to like, oh, I could fly to the gate of the desert and cycle through <laughs> in the same time. So yep. I got home, I looked it up, realized it was stupidly simple. First thing is, there's only a handful of reports out there because not that many people have done it. Mm -hmm. Secondary thing, it's Western Africa. There isn't a gazillion roads. It's, it's not like you don't need to do crazy detailed road planning because it's route A or route B, end of story. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, this is cool. So I, I did what you do. I went onto websites and looked at gear reviews and was like, ah, oh, this is great gear for this and that. And I quickly ordered it because it was Christmas time. You want to have it in time with, yeah. with all the holidays. And, and uh, three days after Christmas, I left for Africa. Well, so I was at home and I was visiting my parents in Freiburg and a friend spontaneously got on the trip as well who literally, this is not a joke, which is great. I love, like I have so many crazy friends. He comes from the north of Germany. So he decided to drive from the north of Germany down to the south of Germany because he has a company car. Pick me up and then we drive to Barcelona, stay the night at my place and then fly to Africa. He comes from a family background where his grandma and his parents were like, it was like an adventure of a lifetime that he drove a car from the north of Germany to the south of yeah. Germany. Wow. And I'm, suddenly I'm taking their son to ride a bike through Africa. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, awesome. by, by, by that time, uh, according to my parents, I had, I had signed my death certificate. I, yeah. I love it how 
how parents, when it comes to their children, there's no logic, right? None at all. So like, obviously, according to my mother, I would die of scorpions when sleeping in the desert. And okay. I say, naturally, absolutely. So I say, <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, they're not there at this time of the year. It's too cold for them. And she goes like, that's not true. I was in Namibia at the same time of the year, and we had one in the kitchen. And I'm just going through the map of Africa, and I'm looking at Namibia, and then at Morocco, where I'm going. I'm pretty sure the scorpion is not going to take that trip. I'll be <laughs> fine. It was amazing. Like, flew to, flew to uh, Agadir, hit no goal. No goal at all. Just ride and see yeah. how far we get. I knew my buddy had 10 days. I knew I had three weeks, a maximum of four. I had work lined up. But I had a client lined up where I knew I could literally like rock up in my cycling kit coming straight from Africa to the gig. So it was fine. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, let's let's see what happens. And it was unbelievable. It was amazing how my life changed in three weeks and the way I saw the world and the things that I experienced. We got to Agadir, had a late start because the bikes didn't arrive. We started at midday and we made it out of the hotel to around about 200 meters away. And that was the first time we didn't know which direction to take. So we're like, oh, wait, I'll like try, try this one. And then you're like, we're here for the adventure. We're not taking the road. Like there's a dirt road next to it. We'll go on the yeah. dirt road, 200 meters later, like, yeah, we're not going to make it to the next city in three weeks and that dirt. So we're going back on the street, Yeah, back on the street. Day one, we're, we're drafting like vegetable trucks and things like just burning the energy left and right dream yeah. of 200 kilometer days out there on the bike going deeper into into morocco after 180k at the foot of like the, the atlas mountains sort of end towards the ocean we arrive at that last little bit that you need to go over the mountains it's about to get dark there's this tiny village you know we, we all have those i don't know but a lot of people have those those fears imprinted without reason. It's it's from stories we hear. We've never experienced it, but you feel you suddenly you feel uncomfortable because it's different. And it was kind of like that feeling in that village. It's like, yeah, we don't want to stay here, really. Like, I know it's ridiculous, but give me a day to ease into this. We ask us at the local shop about like where to stay and if there's a good place to camp. And then we're like, well, whatever you do, do not go into the mountains. Like locals wouldn't do that. So we slept the night in the mountains, obviously, <laughs> uh, which was a great night. It was a great night. It was a lot of fun. From there, it, we, we, we just, we rode through the desert, no plan, day by day. We had our tent. My buddy came down with stomach problems like three days in, which meant we didn't go as fast and as far as we wanted, but he kept pushing for another seven days on basically like a Snickers bar a day for like 110 kilometers through the desert wow. every day. Wow slept under the stars with the most like the most beautiful skies and everything waking up in the mornings in the tents you know getting blown off the road by the wind and everything literally just riding ourselves like chased by dogs and and, and yeah. all and which was great and then after 10 days i left him in dakhla um which is a peninsula in the western sahara so i'm just going to do the quick disclaimer here I'm not politically interested. I rode a bike through West Africa. Yeah. You guys decide for yourself if, it, if it's Morocco, if it's Western Sahara on the map, it says Western Sahara. The stamp of my passport says I was in Morocco. 
Got it. Long story short is Western Sahara got taken over by Morocco years and years back, and it's still inhabited by, by the Moroccans. It's a very surreal experience because from what I understand and the stories I heard is to, to end the very bloody war that, that was down there, the Moroccan government promised elections after the war to, to see if the area should be Western Sahara or uh, Morocco governed. And in order to ensure that, that the vote goes towards Morocco, all those ghost towns were built down there. All the same schematics, same layout, never inhabited. Very surreal, right. you're right. Past those cities that are now being taken back over by the desert. And you see like those ruins of my, what must have been amazing horse stables and so on. So a bit, a bit strange, but so much political history. Don't care. Yeah. Beautiful experience. Yeah. Continued solo and and opened up the engines a little bit and started averaging 185 kilometers a day through the desert. The experiences you, you cannot imagine. It's stories you, you can't write. I want to I yeah. ask you a question about the, the kind of the physicality of those days. I've done some trips where, uh, you know, three days, five days max, very memorable one through the western side of Ireland to get to my friend's wedding and you're kind of experiencing all of these things along the way. And, you know, as you're saying, I'm remembering getting blown off the road or the sheep, you know, blocking the road and you've got nowhere to go. So there's all these little moments that happen. I want to ask you, like, did you have a plan at the start of the day? I want to get to this next town or was it you get through the day with no agenda and then you realize, okay, it's getting dark. We need to stop now. Or tell me a little bit about kind of the logistics of what you were thinking through those days. It was a very, very cool and somewhat special experience for me. I know it, it, for some people, this might take away a little bit from the adventure, but I had with me what's what's called an, a Garmin inReach, which basically sends a GPS beacon constantly my location. People I give the link can log in and see basically where I am. From day one onward, my dad sat at the computer and followed my trip which then eventually turned into a thing like he knew I was going to do like 180 to 200 a day, something like that. He would then in the morning, like send me those, those quick messages and go like, so from where you are, where you slept, like 70 kilometers in, there should be a gas station, but the picture's three years old. So we don't know. But then there's this cool thing. If you go off the road there for a little bit into the desert, can you quickly check that out for me? Which, yeah. which, like, was really cool. So I, I had a rough idea of what I want to, where I want to go throughout the day, because what I did do is through the reports I read before, and so I have a rough, had a rough plan, um, how far to the next refueling point, and I wanted to always sort of like try and refuel late in the afternoon that I had reserves for the night, which sometimes worked, sometimes failed miserably because things were didn't exist anymore and yeah. so on as it happens but yeah the the idea generally was there there was no plan in terms of time i didn't care for me about riding through the night but especially so so there was a story december 2018 i want to say where those two i think a swedish and a british girl were killed in the moroccan mountains okay. and the government has become very careful and very protective of their tourists since then because the, they just don't want to have an incident like that anymore. So in average, I want to say every 70 kilometers from Morocco all the way to Mauritania, you'll find police checkpoints. And once you pass the first one, they every next checkpoint knows you're, you're out on the road there. And what they usually do is, depending on what time you, you cross that checkpoint, they'll be like, hey, it's late. You're not going to make the next checkpoint. We want you to put your tent up next to our police checkpoint or something like that. 
And it's right. it's a, like it's a random, it's like one random building with nothing around for 70 kilometers in the desert. I was very lucky because I, I assume they worked off the numbers on bike computers. So they had an idea of the numbers they knew that people would usually have at four o'clock. But I wasn't going an average of 24 kilometers an hour. I was going an average of 30 to 32 kilometers an hour because it was flat. So the numbers looked big. So they would usually let me go. So I could ride into the night and then just put my tent up and hide it somewhere in the desert if there was anywhere to hide or, or things like that. But I had literally had the situation where, where I rode past the gas station and I was like 65 kilometers. I know it's getting dark, but the tail was howling without yeah. pushing too hard, going 40, 45 kilometers an hour. I knew like an hour and a half, bam, I'm, I'm like in the next big city. I could actually sleep in a hostel. 15 kilometers down the road, I crossed the police checkpoint and they're like, oh, we can't let you go. But why not? I'm like an hour away now from where I want to go. No, you need to turn around and go back. And I'm like, no, 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 let me explain to you. 15 kilometers with those headwinds mean yeah. an hour and a half for me to go back where you want to send me, where the last spot was. Letting me go is an we'll hour the way. on the bike. They wouldn't understand it. I literally had yeah. to push 15 kilometers back an hour and a half through the headwinds to sleep at the gas station. But not having that plan led to the best experiences. Riding five additional hours for roughly 12, 15 kilometers, maybe, maybe 20, through a national park. No lights. Couldn't see anything. Kids had stolen my bike lights. It was washed out sand roads, constantly wiping out. You just saw like eyes of whatever animals in the bushes left and right every once in a while. Really, really cool, amazing experiences. Yeah. It brings me joy to see you describe those. And I, you know, as I briefly mentioned, I've had some of those experiences myself, but in much more populated areas where, you know, if you get to the next town, there's going to be a hotel with a Guinness and a bowl of beef stew that you're going to be able to have. So I'm sure that that wasn't always the case for you. The thing I learned is I'm going to stay wild in the future because one of the few nights I stayed in a place. I even asked the police where the best place would be to stay, which ended in me being held hostage for uh, a ransom for one night and had to escape by jamming open the lock to a huge steel gate oh in a compound goodness. at 6 a.m. in the morning and escape. So I'm wow. staying wild from here on out. Stay wild. Yeah. It's oh, Man, I like... <laughs> Rich Roll did a recently did a podcast with uh, Nick Butler, who was the first he was the first guy to run a marathon in every country in the world. So he has some amazing, amazing stories. So if anyone listening hasn't listened to that podcast and is and is interested in learning about that type of adventure, then go listen to it because yeah. it's incredible to hear the stories he tells amazing. exactly like that. Paying the paying the ransoms and paying the bribes to get into countries and having so many days being sick and, you know, all of those things that you experience that you can't plan for, but yeah. adds up to those war stories that you're, you're able to tell after after the fact. It's amazing experiences, without a doubt. Yeah. But don't get me wrong with everything I'm saying here is I'm, I might be one of the, in, in, that, in that regard, less prepared people. I got stuck in a sandstorm in Mauritania, uh, 120 kilometers long. And I literally, I went into the sandstorm and I was like, okay, Situation is there is a sandstorm, there's desert left and right, there's nowhere to hide. And what I do know is I there I have no station to refuel for hundred kilometers. I don't have enough liquids on my bike, so keep yeah. pushing through the sandstorm. What I didn't know is what is a sandstorm? How dangerous is a sandstorm? How long does a sandstorm last? I had no idea. So yeah. I, I just had to keep going there. Um, what I want to say is it's an amazing experience and I love it. And I have so many more adventures coming up. 
but I don't want to encourage everybody to do it the same way that I do. Yeah, find your own comfort level. I I, I see yeah, that. You're, exactly. I, I don't think everyone's running out to go to Morocco and ride their bikes on their own or go and do everything in Antarctica. So I think there's no, a level but, of... But it's yeah. not just that. It's like you need to decide which way you go. Like I'm, I'm a bit of a unique character with the sort of like that long distance cycling because most people that you meet out there are still like pannier backs and all that. I went yeah. completely ultra light. I had one jersey, one bib with me that got like disinfectant spray at night. Next day, keep going. And I did that for three weeks straight, not a single rest day in there and so on. And I made it all the way to Gambia, but I experienced so much between Sandstorm on yeah. getting kidnapped, all sorts of experiences that I would have had another six days to continue from, from Gambia. And I probably could have made it to Freetown or somewhere there and flew on from there. By doing 180 kilometers a day, and like the longest day was 259 kilometers, there was no time to process. So I overloaded the system. I just yeah. decided after 21 days, I'm not gonna ride those last four days. I'm gonna enjoy them at the beach and I'm, I'm very glad I did. You need to find your own way what works for you. But other than that, go and see the world. Love it, especially now, especially after what we've all been through, there's so much more to see than we've all experienced. Uh, yeah, go and explore. I, f I find like I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed by it because I feel like I'm, I'm lacking this really cool story. You know, like there, there's like, I have to, my, a buddy here in Girona who's an ultra cyclist. He does amazing things. And for him, like his messages, he's been suffering from depression and everything and like cycling yeah. helped him through that and everything. And I, I don't have that. I go out there because I love the adventure. And my mission is to spread a smile. All the way to Senegal, I was riding with a teddy bear on my bike to make right. people smile wherever we stopped and so on. But I don't, I don't have that own story of like, I need to do this. Yeah, I literally I'm in a fortunate position where I can go like, I want to do this because mm -hmm. this is what makes me happy. That's probably a great a point to for people to think about is find what makes you happy. It doesn't have to be ultra cycling. Wow. It doesn't have to be any of those things. It could be walking around the block and holding hands with your wife, like find it, was, it and just and do it. It was really, really strange. I'm not joking. I literally like in December, I had those moments of like awakening of like sitting on the bike here and going like, I'm always happy, but joyful, I'm, I'm singing, I'm like being stupid kind of happy, is when I'm yeah. on the bike in nature, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna pull the plug on this and I'm gonna do more of those adventure trips and everything. Did the trip, come home and people go like, so you are now uh, bound to your apartment for the next seven weeks or even longer. I was like, that yeah. is exactly the opposite of what I just found out for myself. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's something to look forward to. Till this has been amazing. I, you know, I feel like we could talk for hours. You've got amazing stories. I always love hearing your versions of, of tales. You do a great job. I do have three questions that I like to ask yes. at the end of each episode. So I'm going to launch into that. So the first question is what's one thing that's changed for you during isolation or for you lockdown that you want to keep once we move past this current situation? Not caring so much. Not that I have cared too much before but there was a certain level it, it, it applies to every aspect of life other than a spare part for my turbo trainer i have not ordered a single thing online in those eight weeks because yeah. every time I was like i actually don't need this i really don't yeah. i have too much stuff already that's something i want to keep 100 yeah. percent. the other yeah. thing is i spend a stupid amount on going to coffee shops i feel like i don't need to do that anymore i can i found a great way different ways to make coffee at home 
Yeah. And and in a in a different way, I don't care that much anymore. Is there there was still like it got less and less throughout the years. But I used to be very vain in my twenties. It got better in my thirties, but there's still a level of vanity. Like a year ago, I like had a proper six pack and everything for probably the first time in my life. And now I'm seeing pictures from me doing the Everesting on the bike, and I'm like, huh. I can properly see all those peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and the pizza head in the first four weeks of lockdown without doing a single training session. But I don't care. I will. Yeah. I will publish those pictures because that's what I look like right now. Who cares? Yeah. And that's that's an attitude I want to. I want to just keep up yeah. afterwards. Yeah. You may have already answered the second question, but you might have something else that triggers your your mind here. What's one thing that you thought was important before lockdown uh, that you're happy to leave in the past? I wouldn't say that it's necessarily just lockdown. It's something that manifested through the lockdown, but it's something that started with the Africa trip, definitely, and just got confirmed during lockdown is I caught myself in terms of social media and so on using it. I've, I've deleted all platforms, but Instagram, but I was in, using Instagram with the mindset of like, okay, this is a promotion tool. I need to do this for work and so on and on. So very often I would put, picks of pictures of situations in my life where that looked like something I knew people want to say, but it yeah. wasn't the best story for me to tell of the day. It was my best story. I very much come to you. I'm telling the story out there, but I do not care how many likes it gets or not. I know that yeah. landscape pictures, beautiful countryside, don't get as many likes, but I bloody love that moment, that snapshot that I saw out on a ride. That's what I'm posting. That's great. And that's doing, uh, doing things a, for me. I'm so happy that you've had that realization. And I think that, you know, Charlie, we had Charlie Engel two days ago and he's, he had the same realization. He basically stopped using social media for a while because he's like, I don't need to do this to stay relevant anymore. So everyone I think is coming out of this cycle of you need to show up and you have to be a certain way and create this character. So I'm glad I'm I mean, glad to hear that. Look around, look around on social media, look look around public people. I mean, we're we're now seeing young Fredano showing his bare ass in Instagram stories and so on. <laughs> people have come to the point where they realize, and it's not just us, it doesn't matter. We're all human and yeah. we're all flawed, and it's okay to show. And that's what I what I enjoy seeing out there. You see like so many pro athletes and, and actors, everybody's happy to make a fool of themselves and you can literally tell is they need that themselves in that moment they need to be stupid to feel free for a moment and i hope yeah. that we all remember this afterwards honestly this is a part of the reason why this thing even exists this 31 days in may because for so long i was afraid of you know i don't well i don't know how to use the technology no one's going to watch no one's going to listen you know this that who's going to want to tune every every day and i was like i don't care because i want to have conversations with people like you if no one watches and no one listens, doesn't matter to me because we've had this experience together. So that this is your point is this is why this is happening. So we're all on it. our own journey. Final question. What's been your most memorable moment during lockdown? There's two, I would say. Two two moments I will, will definitely remember. I'm living right at the river. So I'm overlooking the river. And on the other side of the river, there is more buildings and everything. And it's like four stories high. We have that, that thing of like eight o'clock, people go out and applaud the, the, the health workers and everybody. Yeah. And the first night that turned from just an applause into then somebody playing a concert, somebody with a serious sound system played a concert for like five blocks deep along the river, yeah. which now has become a, a thing. And like just standing out there for the applause, that's one of the things. 
The other thing is, I'm not going to lie, and, and, and it really, really surprised me a lot how I experienced it, was my first ride outside again in the morning three days ago. I didn't expect that, man, I because I was happy. I found a good place in lockdown. I spent hours sitting in the open window drinking coffee. I was great. I didn't feel bad. And I knew I would enjoy going out, but man, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm on my bike. And I must have, I had four hours time and I must have stopped every 30 minutes to just sit on the side of a trail or something and literally watch the grass flow in the wind. And, yeah. and half of the time, I'm, I'm glad I didn't crash. Half of the time I would ride with my hands off the handlebars and I'll just go like this on the side because I've never felt wind between my fingers just dangling along. I did not expect that, but man, that memory is going to stay. So beautiful. And I like, it makes me kind of jealous that we didn't get some kind of lockdown so I could have that like transformative experience as well, because, you know, we've been able to get outside and actually have had similar moments, maybe not as uh, philosophical as you, but I was running along the other day and there was this perfectly manicured lawn in someone's backyard on one of the trails we have here. And I like stopped and looked and I was like admiring the lawn and like how beautiful and green it was. And the guy came out and I was like, I love your lawn. And he's like, yeah, good job, buddy. Keep running. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you appreciate these things that you probably wouldn't have, you know, when would you ever stop on a run before? Or when would you ever stop in the middle of a ride before? Like you just wouldn't do it. Right. So There's always somebody who loves complaining. They'll be like, you can't say I'm, I'm sad that like proper lockdown didn't happen to us. But what you're saying is exactly the thing is like, if we play our cards right, we get out of this as as humans and have learned so much and this is such a great opportunity to to improve because if you look around people are supporting each other a lot more you will always have exceptions but you you go to the supermarket and suddenly nobody's in a rush anymore people if if it isn't clear who was first at the cashier they'll be like oh you go it's fine don't you worry about it this catching up mate how long has it been since we chatted and i have that with so many people we pick yeah. up our phones again and so on instead of just, oh, I-, I typed a message. We're cool. Like consciously, I'm out there and I'm, I'm seeing that I'm, judgy. I'm less judgy than I was before. I hate yeah. to say it, but I was a judgy person apparently. And I probably still am, but, I'm, but I've now learned that I want to improve on that. And I think a lot of people have those experiences. And I really, really hope that a lot of people will keep that memory alive once the lockdown is over and hopefully Corona is, is done as well. Yeah. Beautiful thought. Um, I think it's a great way for us to end and I uh, appreciate your time and your energy and the storytelling. And I think we should continue to have these conversations offline and share stories. And one day maybe we'll do a, a bikepacking trip together in the US here or I can come and visit. We'll do I'd something love that. together. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, definitely. When we're offline, there's there there's more. We've only made it on the Africa trip to the Moroccan border. I mean, there's still Mauritania, Senegal, and Gambia, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> Trev, um, thank you so much for taking the time. We'll be here. Uh, we'll be here every day in May. Uh, tomorrow, I'm very excited to bring in uh, Caitlin Looney Landsberg, who's a really good friend of mine. She actually started Sufferfest Beer here in the US. Great story. She uh, was a, a marketing uh, person at Strava, and she loved a beer, loved a cold beer. Has a gluten um, intolerance, some issues with gluten. So she just she discovered a way to remove the enzymes of the gluten enzymes from beer. Uh, and build a company around it. And now her company was acquired by Sierra Nevada, a big beer brand here. So she's got an amazing story to tell. She's a great athlete, great uh, entrepreneur. So I'm looking forward to catching up with her. So I want to say one last thing about that. Caitlin Looney-Landsberg, if you hear this, I'm German. 
So you ever need an authentic <laughs> beer tester, you let me know. All right. The beer's good. We'll send we'll try and I'll try and get some over to you. But uh the beer is good. She's done a good job with the beer as well. Yeah. So if chill. you can't get it here, I'll come pick it up. Yeah, come join us and we'll have a we'll have a happy hour. Um mate, it's been great to have you once again and uh look forward to staying in touch and wish you all the best as you get to ride your your bike more and more and more Everestings to come. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for watching and stay yeah. safe out there, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I love Till's energy and oh man, does his story of riding across Morocco make me miss long adventure days on two wheels. If anyone wants to plan a long ride somewhere fun, once we're all allowed to again, let me know. I'll be there. If you made it this far in the show, I'd love to ask you a favor. If you enjoyed today's episode or any other episodes of the Inner Voice podcast, I'd love you to share that episode with a friend. This is a big month of recording and releasing new shows every single day, and I'd love to honor the work of many people behind the scenes who bring this to life. And the best way for that to happen is for you to share the love. So pick a friend and send it over to them. Also, if you'd love to catch these discussions live, you can do so at 3.30 p.m. every single day on the innervoice.life Facebook page. Thanks again for being here. I hope you'll come back. I'm your host, Travis McKenzie, and this is the Inner Voice Podcast.